Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. My guest today is Jim Barnish, founder and managing partner of Orchid Black. Jim, welcome. Carol, thanks. Love the name of the show, Authentically Successful. Too many folks forget about that. Wow. Great. (laughs) Tell us uh, at a high level a little bit about Orchid Black and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, imagine you're a tech CEO and you've built a really strong company and by all measures have achieved lots of success. You're hitting Mm -hmm. some targets, but maybe missing others. And then you meet a team of growth experts that's able to help you understand exactly and quickly what you're able to do to make your business worth much more. Mm -hmm. Um, That's us. (laughs) And we'll also help uh, along the way to help you execute um, in a really interesting performance-based model that founders really love. Mm-hmm. And, and you founded the company just about three and a half years ago, yeah? Yeah, correct. So tell me about the impetus behind that. Uh, well, Orchid Black's designed for founder-led companies that are in the black or profitable, uh, hence ah, the name. Ah, <laughs> very good. I was wondering um, about that. Yes, absolutely. And they they likely don't meet the high growth expectations of a VC or a private equity firm. Okay. Uh, in fact, that's kind of where I came from prior to starting Orchid Black was mm-hmm. the venture capital world and mm-hmm. saw so many companies that we were rejecting uh, that weren't in the top 1%. Um, and also so many of the companies that we were investing in that were blowing a lot of capital and mm-hmm. thought that between the two, there had to be another way to both help more companies um, that weren't necessarily in the top 1% growing companies, um, and also not only grow fast, but grow smart. And that's where our grow smart, grow fast mantra came from. Um, and ultimately, you know, what we do, we focus on those companies that um, could be worth a lot, a lot more, have a lot, a lot going right with them, but have a lot of opportunity for growth. Um, and typically, uh, you know, we really are uh, focused on, commercialization, product market fit, things along those lines that a lot of founders struggle with, especially in the technology world. Right. Yeah. It it is a huge challenge. Um, So did you, did you bootstrap the company? How did you build it financially? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. Uh, We did bootstrap. Um, My, uh, my co-founder, Steven and I um, had spent about a decade together doing what we do at Orchid Black. Um, another decade prior to that, you know, separately and ultimately um, bringing together all the work that we had done as operators, consultants, um, investors and, and M&A folks um, started the firm with about 10 people, uh, 10 partners um, and have now grown it to just over 30 folks on the team. Right. Um, completely bootstrapped. That's fantastic. Yeah. So the this initial 10 people, how did you find them? What were you looking for? Did you make any mistakes? Oh. That that initial batch of people? Oh yeah, did we ever? Um <laughs> the uh and and not and not for not for any reason other than the fact that we had had really good relationships that we had formed over the years and um 
folks that we loved a lot that had done great things, but that mm-hmm. weren't the perfect fit for, for where we were, where we were going. Um, we had been fortunate enough to work with a lot of great folks, serial entrepreneurs, C-level operators um, mm-hmm. who had seen and done it all. Um, and they had a bunch of exits under their belt. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, those folks typically fall into one of two categories. One is um, relying on what they've done. The other is relying on what they can do based on what they've done. And I think we had a lot of folks um, in the first bucket, which is okay when you're looking to be an advisor or uh, you know on a board. But when you're hands-on in a company, yeah. um, like we are with the founders that we serve and that we work with, um, it's, a, it's a little bit different story. And so our evolution and our learnings really came from um, the need to only have folks who can still do it all, who can still get their hands dirty, mm-hmm. whether that's in sales, marketing, operations. Um, and who want to do that and eager to do that um, in a hands-on capacity. Mm-hmm. Did you did you have any um, financial ramifications of that first batch of people and the and those that didn't work out? Uh, financial ramifications only that we couldn't grow as fast as we wanted to, um, and um, personal ramifications. Uh, if I'm honest, having to spend probably you know 100 plus hours every week doing a lot of cleanup and jumping in and um, making sure that it did not affect the clients that we were serving. Mm-hmm. It only affected us as the founders <laughs> in the time that we had to spend on it. And right. so it was, it was, it was a lesson learned and it was a, it was a really good lesson learned at that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. Um, tell me a little bit about your revenue model and how you make money. Yeah. So our focus is on aligning um, with companies that are in their early growth stage. So typically not companies with a lot of cash on hand. Mm-hmm. Um, they are profitable. Um, but they um, are looking to reinvest in growth. And as part of that growth, we're bringing the growth experts to the to the table who, if they were paying cash, would definitely um, be probably a bit over of what they could afford, you know, a bit, bit higher than right. they could be able to afford. Yeah. Um, so the majority of our fees are actually taken as, um, as upside or, you know, equity percentage of sales, something that aligns with the goals and performance of what we're doing. Um, we're not your typical consultants that'll, you know, hand you a you know million dollar report and say, here you go, good luck. Sure. Um, we yeah. are the folks that that'll show you exactly what you need to increase yeah. the value of your business yeah. and then work alongside you to do it. And we'd be crazy if we wouldn't bet on ourselves and on the clients that we work with or the mm-hmm. clients that we serve. Um, and so that's that's that performance-based model that I'm referring to. That's fantastic. So so what percentage are you taking in equity versus cash? Uh, it depends on the company. Uh, we aim for a 50-50 blend um, at, at, you know, across the board um, just to make sure that you know, our level of risk is also uh, kept in right. mind. Some companies a little more, some companies a little less, but it's not always equity. Sometimes it is um, certain valuation milestones along the way um, mm-hmm. where we are you know, bonused, if you will, for achieving certain milestones with the team. Um, Sometimes it's percentage of sales if our engagement is entirely Mm -hmm. focused on just driving sales growth. Um, But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, there's always a cash price to everything. And it's just a conversation with the founders about how to turn that into something that makes us both really happy uh, with uh, the opportunity ahead of us and how Orchid Black can partner with those founders. Yeah. So, you know, I have, I have, noticed over my almost 30 year career that when you hire or when you, when you look to attract really senior level people and say, Oh yeah, by the way, we're not going to be paying you millions of dollars a year. It's hard to attract those people. So 
how have you been able to attract these sea level operators? I mean, do they just have so much money in the bank? They're you know ready to retire and willing to do this um, that they're you know the people can afford to work for less than they would normally be working for, and you know and pay their bills. Yeah, um, I think it's um, it's interesting you asked that because that first group of people that I mentioned earlier mm-hmm. um, really fit into that category around, you know, net worth exactly where they needed it yeah. and, um, and did not need to work, if you right. will. Right. Um, I think, um, you know, that, that caused some of the, you know, not, not wanting to work in some cases. Um, I would say our group now, um, may have some good nest eggs built up mm-hmm. from their time as executive operators, um, and have a couple exits under their belt, but, um, they're looking they're, they're looking and hungry for more. Um, and so it's not necessarily that they need to make the cash that they would if they were just on any, you know, any old job, right? Yeah. Um, but they are looking to make a difference in a number of companies and impact and also be compensated for that impact. Yep. And so um, it really is the upside that they're there, that they're here for. Um, and um, that is much higher than they would be able to make if they were doing a full-time job elsewhere. Yeah, that's so great. I was just, you know, I was just thinking as you were saying that getting wanting to ask you what do you think the driving factor is? And that's, you know, the the, you know, I always tell people for me, it's the opportunity to make a difference. It's clearly the same with your people. It absolutely and, is. You know, and and what I believe when people, you know, when that is what's underlying, everything else will flow in well. A hundred percent. You're not just there for the cash. I mean, yes, you want your, you know, you want that payout. Right. But if you truly are able to make a difference, everything will will come. If you're It'd be if crazy you if you didn't want to have a financial freedom or financial wealth, mm-hmm. right? But at the end of the day, it's got to tie to impact. And if you can be, if you believe in what you can do, um, why wouldn't you put your money where your mouth is and make mm-hmm. sure that that impact is connected to that compensation? Mm-hmm. So yeah. y- you talked about about the work that you had done um, at one of your prior companies that's similar to this. Uh, how long ago was that? And what would you say? And, and was there anything else in your background that prepared you to, to say, this is what I want to do now and I'm going to launch a company? <laughs> uh, yes and no. Um, I, uh, my, my, beginning, uh, my beginning began at my, uh, my family's business at the ripe young age of 15. <laughs> and we grew from about 40 million to now, geez, uh, over a billion um, today. Um, I wasn't there for all of it. I was there for the first half of it. Um, but getting thrown in business at age 15 teaches you a lot really quickly, right. um, especially when all you've got is the learner's pin- permit and a lot of, a lot of energy um, and drive. Um, and the, uh, the, the ultimate you know, kind of connection point to me in leaving that was um, really looking at my upside and, and my, uh, my opportunity to move beyond the family business. Um, and as I did that, you know, my passion for technology uh, met with, you know, my desire to grow businesses, um, which I had been doing um, to date for the family business and um, ultimately ended up um, serving technology companies in a number of capacities, mm-hmm. um, consultant, operator, and um, not entrepreneur yet, but um Got uh, got invited to be a part of something really special here in Florida, um, a venture capital firm that was just getting off the ground called mm-hmm. Florida Funders. Right. A um, bunch of angel investors around the table that were looking to do something really special um, and help them to form a process and, and a, a methodology for driving investment into early stage technology companies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
saw all of the companies that were being so well served by our model um, and the venture cap capital model in general, um, but also so many that had a lot of opportunity within them that were not being served um, and started a company coming out of that called Startup Solutions that was um, all equity, um, no cash, um, only focused on you know really certain elements within these companies, getting them VC ready, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, learned a lot with that, especially that you can't run a business on all equity <laughs> uh, and can't scale a business on all equity, that's right, for sure. Right. Um, and also that there had to be some skin in the game, if you will, um, some cash from founders to uh, to really you know, mm -hmm. believe in, in what we were building. Um, and out of that uh, is where Orchid Black came from, um, which is a blend of cash and equity in our model now, cash and upside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, but still focused on that same message, that same mantra around, you don't just have to grow fast, you can grow smart and grow fast. Yeah, that's really fantastic. Um, the family business, was this started by your folks or a generation prior to that? And what's the business? It started by my stepmom's uncle. Um, and my dad came in as CFO. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately, um, I was brought in as you know, an M&A growth guy to help mm -hmm. the business grow. Started off as an intern, ultimately ended up as a um, as a leader within the organization pretty quickly. Um, and the business is roofing distribution um, that is quite kind of on the other side of sexiness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, but ultimately a business that um, has a lot of legs to it and, and was in a very um, interesting space around acquisition at the time. And so um, as we were as the family was concentrated mostly on growing the business um, and its existing capacity, my focus was on growth through an inorganic growth mm -hmm. through acquisition. Mm -hmm. um, and as part of that, you know, a lot of lessons learned there. Um, I tried to bring logistics technology into the company. Um, yeah, <laughs> acquiring a technology business within a distribution business, mm -hmm. very hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, damn near impossible when the culture is not ready for it. Um, and uh, completely, you know, fell on a t fell, fell, uh, fell out and ultimately ended up you know, turning into a zero, uh, um, learned a lot from that. Um, and also caught a light, lot of heat from it. Um, and, um, really started to think about, um, you know, what does it take to drive an acquisition, um, in the company that you're in, because not every acquisition is good for every company. <laughs> um, and that was something that, you know, we had never done before. We had never learned and, Sounds silly saying it out loud and now, quite frankly, but was a really important lesson nonetheless. What did, what did you think was the biggest challenge? You know, not every acquisition is good for every company. And that's true. And, and you know, often companies acquire companies and they don't know how to even integrate them or it takes years yeah. to do so. Yeah. And, you know, you yeah. end up having a ton of turnover. So, I mean, what was, you know, what were the issues that you were having? Yeah, Um my uh, my desire to innovate meeting what the company needed was yeah. was part of it um my desire to drive higher valuations uh, um when the company had a really foundational business and acquisition mm -hmm. strategy that was mm -hmm. working quite well um and um and ultimately um you know going off of strategy right having a plan that it was agreed to um, that everyone was aligned on and then deviating from that plan because i thought innovation yeah. And higher multiples were what we needed at the time, right. um, and that's just not that's just not the case. Strategy is is following strategy, um, and uh, and alignment is uh, incredibly important for yep. building. Right, preaching to the choir. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, so, so tell me a little bit about how do you find the companies or do they find you? Are you marketing? Um, you know, and are, are you competing at all against, you know, traditional institutional VCs? Um, it's a great question. We're, um, we're more at the intersection of where consulting meets private equity. Um, okay. Venture capital um, is uh, potential is sometimes actually a lead source for us, as mm-hmm. is private equity. You mm-hmm. know, the companies that uh, weren't VC or private equity ready that, um, you know, those institutional firms see the opportunity and know mm-hmm. what we can do with them. Um, and a handoff of sorts. Um, get a lot of our deal th- flow from our partner programs around, um, you know, attorneys, accountants, uh, investment bankers right. that are involved in the transaction ecosystem mm-hmm. uh, that also, you know, compete with, um, or not compete rather, but but take part in, in what that growth looks like for those companies and our true trusted advisors mm-hmm. for those founders. Um, and also wealth management professionals um, that uh, that see the opportunity to really manage mm-hmm. a, a lot of wealth on the other end of an mm-hmm. exit, because um, that's what we're driving towards after all. Um, but that's really just our referral basis. Um, and obviously customers, you know, uh, refer us in as well. Um, the, um, the beyond referrals is kind of what we needed to start thinking about a year ago. Um, And uh, that was um, something that was a bit newer for us because we're the tech experts, not necessarily the services experts. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, growing a services company is obviously quite a bit different than than growing a product company. Um, So we had to bring in a few experts of our own, uh, outside experts who were services, growth services experts um, beyond, you know, our product and tech expertise. And um, one of those folks is now a managing partner. Uh, Howard Joyce is our third, her third managing partner, Great. who's built you know a number of uh, nine-figure services firms in the past. Okay. And part of that was um, really just discipline on realizing what gaps we had on our team, mm-hmm. uh, what we needed to do to meet some of our growth goals, and then bringing in those outside experts to uh, to to drive some of the you know go-to-market um, initiatives that we needed to do beyond just handoff referrals. Mm-hmm. How'd you, how have you gone about finding, you know, going from 10 to 30? Yeah. Um, 10 to 30. Yeah. People, employees. Oh, got it. Got it. Sorry. Um, the um, growth is hard on the ta- the talent side of that question is probably the harder question than the, right. um, than the actual revenue right. <laughs> side well, of sure. it. That's, that's uh, exactly my question. Yeah. 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 The, um, uh, the value proposition that we offer to the market is similar to what we offer internally. Um, and it is the ability to really quickly identify where you've got growth opportunity um, and, and help you grow. Um, and so we've got a lot of internal programs where we do that with our up and coming talent. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, have a lot of um, expertise on the team with our operating partners that is, um, uh, is really leveraged across the organization mm-hmm. internally as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, um, ultimately, you know, we are bringing in a lot of millennials into our full-time employee group that, um, think differently than our oper- than our senior level operating partners. Very and good. Yeah. it's been, uh, you know, it's crazy how disengaged the millennial workforce is from <laughs> their jobs and the stats that are out there. Right. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, 55% of millennials are not engaged at work. That is a crazy stat. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's costing the US economy over 30 billion a year. Um, and right. so we'd be silly not to recognize that and think about that for ourselves. Um, but they're here because they want to grow. They want to um, build something great and um, making it a really fun place for them. And but also a place where they can learn really quickly has been mm. a big part of that employee value proposition. That's really good. Well, and, and not only that, you know, you're bringing in a completely different culture mm. and um, and you're certainly getting away from any groupthink, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at the, the list of any toughest challenges for businesses and you'll find hiring and retaining employees at or near the top of that. Yeah, right. Right. Well, and it's because companies don't often don't often. Well, you know, as we've talked, they don't really understand how to do that. They think they do, but they don't. And they don't realize that there's a whole process. There's a, a lot of steps you have to put in place before you even think about hiring your first person. That is, we just need to recruit person. people, but that's really the last step in the process of, <laughs> yeah, of building, well, what, what of building a sustainable for? company <laughs> that's right. you know, that 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 functions as a talent centric organization. Um, yeah. What do you see your uh, your clients, your portfolio companies, uh, wasting most of their time and money on? Wow, that is a that is a tough one. Um, the uh, I would say the main thing is being so focused on the day to day and working in the business that they forget to work on the business and yeah. um, thinking that that's almost a waste of time to work on the business. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a dangerous place to be when you are only focused on just execution of the plan and not looking at what impact things are having mm-hmm. on your plan. <laughs> Um, and so I would say the, 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 one of the first things that we do is making sure we slow down to speed up and that yeah. we form alignment within the team um, and that we really teach people how to work on their business um, and also avoid burnout along, the process, along that journey, mm-hmm. which I've ran into and have a lot of personal growth that I've gotten from my own founder journey and burnout. That's terrific. Um, is there anything that bugs you about your industry? <laughs> There's a lot that bugs me about the consulting about the consulting industry. Um, right. I would say, you know, um, there's a reason you don't see consulting or methodology or things like those typical buzzwords on our website. Um, consulting firms charge your retainer to interview and tell you what you already know or use a standard playbook that doesn't yeah, necessarily yeah. go to the heart of the company's issue. Right. And they get paid no matter what. Um, the founders we work with want a partnership where they can get expert advice, but also get experienced operators that help run the business and have aligned incentives. That's not consulting. That's right. Um, I agree. And, uh, and so we needed to find people that would see our vision of providing this service to founders in the way that worked for them best, um, which is, again, why we can only scale so fast, because there's only so many of those people out there. That's right. Um, Good but, people are you know, really talk- hard to find. Oh my God! Tell best me about people, it. <laughs> the best people are defined. Yeah, so especially two percent, which is probably what you're looking for. Two yeah, to five percent, uh, top one percent, because they're also comfortable with the model of betting on themselves. Yeah. and only getting paid when the founder gets paid, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we are so proud to have a business model and a team that is that founder focused mm-hmm. rather than consulting firm focused. I love it. Because, you know, we've got the methodology, we've got the team, we've got the experts, we've got what consultants have, mm-hmm. but we bring a very different operational mentality to it. Right. That right. is what excites 
the founders that we work with. Well, and, you know, to your, to your earlier point, you know, we've all got skin in the game, right? And 100%. when everybody has a little skin in the game, things seem to work pretty interestingly <laughs> from that standpoint. Yeah. yeah. You know, 100%. Um, what would you say is the most outdated advice in your industry? Hmm. The most outdated advice I would say, uh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, (laughs) um, there's a lot of marketing gurus out there that will tell you the funnel is dead, uh, or the, you know, the conversion funnel is dead and they're lying. It's not dead. It's time tested. It's true. Mm -hmm. And if done right, it is the backbone of every fast growing technology Mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. Um, and anyone that tells you otherwise is just trying to sell you something. Mm -hmm. Um, thanks to things like the product leg or PLG movement, uh, Mm -hmm. product leg growth movement. Um, there's more than one way to design your customer acquisition funnel. Um, but it always follows awareness, consideration, and conversion and buying, right? Um, it's how we as humans just simply work. Know about you know about you, you pay attention and then you trust or buy. It's just it's it's simple <laughs> at the at the heart of it. Um and um ultimately I think that's that's it is it it starts with the creation of your own manifesto or your own strategic narrative. Um and it drives towards either a sales conversion funnel or a marketing conversion funnel. Um, that's driven through a go-to-market strategy. Um, it's it's not just go out there and hire a salesperson, go out, hire a CRO, right? It's how do you want to grow? How do you get to the people you're trying to, that you're trying to help? And ultimately, there's, uh, there's a funnel that's attached to it. <laughs> At what point do you typically enter with these, and partner with these, these tech firms, these startups? I mean, have, um, they, have they have they taken a seed round from anybody? Have they taken any money? Are they bootstrapping? Like, where are they? Yeah, in their in their in their journey. The majority of them have not taken institutional capital on. Okay. Um, if they have, it's some. Um, but institutional capital or VCPE money is not getting in the way of, of right. what we need to Good. get done, which is um, which is very important. Um, they've typically experienced. Um, some level of pretty sincere pain, whether that's hitting a growth obstacle or wall at five, 10, 20 million in revenue, mm-hmm. um, or just n- realizing that they're so stuck in the day to day, they don't know what to do next. Um, they're also looking to exit and they typically don't know what that looks like or mm-hmm. how to plan for it. Um, mm-hmm. And so we bring all those things together. Um, and whether it's um, engaging um, for sales or marketing or something that's a true pain point initially, it turns into a much larger, how do we maximize the value of the business on the path towards exit mm-hmm. conversation? Mm-hmm. And it and we'll know by the first conversation with somebody whether they're going to be coachable enough for our plan or our program to work. Because right. okay. if they're not, um, you know, because we put our fees up at risk or a lot of our fees up at risk, you know, we've got to be very particular and approach from that investor mindset in that capacity. Yeah, no question. Um, so, so when you meet with, I assume you meet with the founding team, is that what it is? The founders, when you first, first start talking to them? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And how do you determine whether they're going to be coachable? And do you look at, because I have this conversation a lot, a lot of people think coaching is actually advisory work. (laughs) So I'm curious how you, how you determine if somebody's going to be coachable. And when you say coachable, what do you mean by that? 
What do you yeah, mean? so I definitely do not mean that we are executive coaches. That is a specialty in and of itself. Right. Okay. And I have one and I'm so thankful for my executive coach. Um, shout out to Mike <laughs> um, and would not know what to do without him, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a specialty. That is a discipline. That is that is okay. human behavior. Um, what we do is um, is truly advisory and execution work. Yep. Okay. Um, and but what I mean by coachability is the ability to listen um, and the ability to, to take that advice and understand that there are experts at the table that know better than you. That's what you're doing. That's why we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we're going to make this work, um, there has to be a belief and an understanding that um, not handing over the reins at all, but helping to elevate you to be a better CEO, yeah. to be a better founder, and understanding that there's a reason we've got a history of exits, and there's a reason that we've got a programmatic approach towards getting there, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to customize that for you. Um, but we got to hold hands and get there together. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about your company culture and what might make it unique. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we've kind of got two spectrums. We've got our um, very very senior level folks, and we've got our you know up and coming leaders mm-hmm. that are that are all millennials. Um, right. And so um, what really brings that together, honestly, is, is, is me. I'm the only person on the senior team that is, that is under the age of 40. Um, <laughs> and so, um, you know, I, I understand what it's going to take to connect those two things. And it worked really hard to try to build a bridge. Um, I wouldn't say we have the perfect bridge, but I would say that it is a focus. Um, it is a, uh, a core thing that companies don't concentrate on enough. Mm-hmm. And culture to us really means growth and results. Yeah. And, um, and at the end of those, the day, those values um, connected with what we call intellectual honesty or knowing what you're great at, but also knowing where you need help mm-hmm. growing um, is what we preach with our clients as well. Um, not just internally. Yeah. So it's a really, it's a really interesting and what I think is meaningful value proposition and, and culture proposition mm-hmm. that is relentless folk, a relentless focus on growth and results. So where, where do you see yourself growing uh, or investing in resources and, you know, for growth over the next year? Yeah, um, we've got a very solid market research competency, which is where a lot of those um, millennials that, that those younger leaders start out. Um, yeah. And um, we're investing heavily in that competency because it not only drives our growth uh, practice or our growth services, but it also allows us to help some enterprise clients for some higher cash engagements that allow us to take more risk on with growth mm-hmm. com- companies. Um, and those those enterprise companies that that hire us really that they, they get so much out of the research that we do for them and thought leadership. And um, what's great about that is um, these uh, the, this research team is really focused on data data gathering insights, right? turning insights into knowledge and, and that knowledge is, is strategy at the end of the day. Um, and so they're learning on the ground um, from experts on research and strategy that's ultimately going to provide them with either a path towards becoming mm-hmm. a younger operating partner or a younger version of our senior folks right. um, or the ability to start their own business, be their own entrepreneur, which uh, we, we also strongly encourage here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh and the third path is taking on a, a role as a growth expert within one of our clients that they really love. Um, right. So it's um, it's really it's a really interesting path uh, for us. I think um, that's a big investment place is in, in that research mm-hmm. team. 
Um, and we also can't ignore the fact that we've got to bring on more experts on the senior level team. And so that's also a focus is on, you know, continuing to make sure that we've got all of our gaps, if you will, covered mm-hmm. from, uh, from our you know, team of senior executives. So if you look back over this last three and a half years, what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made? Mm, how long you got? And how, how long do I have? <laughs> we have about another 10 minutes. <laughs> so, All right. Well, um, you have I a would, hard stop. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, one of the darkest parts of my founder journey was when I hit burnout. Um, mm-hmm. It's something we never talk about as founders at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's why I ended up getting an executive coach. Uh, um, we don't recognize it because startups are supposed to be hard or growth stage businesses are supposed mm-hmm. to be hard. Um, but you know, I hit some of my worst times on the business and on the personal side, and it just had a negative impact on both my life and my business. Um, and unfortunately, even though I had partners more experienced than myself in many capacities, I didn't get an instruction manual on how to blitz scale my life. Right. So I resorted to just muscling through it, you know, taking on more and more, and it just didn't work very well ever. <laughs> uh, and uh, eventually, I just said enough is enough. Uh, worked to develop a set of systems to manage burnout. Um, brought on an executive coach to help me you know, stick to those systems and, and hold me accountable and right. and and drive me to be a better me. Um, right. And um, it's a mental tax that founders go through. In fact, there's a there's a lot of um, psychology and also science around what is. Uh, referred to as founder burnout. Um, you, you know, it's, I think you can actually even go into the World Health Organization um, where they reached a, few, a milestone a few years back classifying burnout as a syndrome, wow. um, which means that it's in the international classification of diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's pretty important for us yeah. to recognize um, and, and learn from. So if somebody wanted to, if somebody was just getting into your industry, wanted to get into your industry, what, what advice would you give them? Um, I would say, um, and when you say that from a found, from a founder perspective or from the, the consulting perspective, consulting perspective, from the consulting perspective, um, you know, are you sure? Just, <laughs> just kidding. Um, I would, yeah, I think the, um, the mantra around consulting is important to recognize where there's a lot of really good things that have come from it. And there's a lot of negative sentiment in the market from where it's, uh, right. where it hasn't quite um, mm-hmm. taken on the same level of value. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I would say, what, what does being a consultant mean to you? And if the answer is putting together um, a strategy and, and, and walking away, um, that world doesn't work the same way as it used mm-hmm. to. If it's, if, it's, if it's simply working with more than one company at a time mm-hmm. in a fractional capacity that's delivering more and more value, like we do at Orchid Black, um, then I would say, go for it. And I'll try to recruit you provided you've got the right expertise that we need. (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, What would you say are your biggest opportunities and threats in your space in what you're doing? Yeah. um, The market's at a pretty interesting height right now for Mm -hmm. exits and valuation multiples. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're taking a lot of risk on with our clients at valuations that they're at, that they could get in the market today. Um, and ultimately that's important to recognize because that's a risk. Um, the, uh, the, the focus of, of what we're doing is what prevents or mitigates that risk, if you will, which is 
we're focused on 100% year over year value creation with every single one of our clients. Mm -hmm. That market rates don't play a role anywhere near 100%, <laughs> um, right? So the, uh, the, the mitigation for us is just being mindful of where valuations are and where they're trending. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and making sure to invest in companies and, and point them towards timing around exit. Um, that's going to be the most fulfilling and the most accurate for them because we are getting to the height of a market. Um, and um, it's important for us to educate the founders that we work with on, on what that means and, and how to take advantage of it in some capacities. If somebody wanted to, somebody listening to this, when this, you know, is, is thinking, boy, this is really slick. I'd like to work for a company like this. What would you suggest they do? Oh, wow. Shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, Jim, Jim Barnes Jr. Uh, you can find me at Grow Smart, Grow Fast on LinkedIn as well. Uh, and ultimately, I offer complimentary office hours each week for whether you're a potential you know, person that we could bring on board or you're a founder that's just looking for some help. Um, I'm happy to take a call just to see if there's potential fit in our growth program. Or at the very least, to help point you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that is so great to hear. And not enough people do that. You know, I think we have we we have come to a place, uh, and, and this didn't just happen overnight, where, uh, you know, executives just aren't, they're just not focused on giving some time away and the mm. importance of doing that. I mean, it's yeah. really a good deed. Well, it's it's a good deed, but there's also if you do it the right way, there's some selfish motivation behind it too. Well, of course right? there it, is. It, it it's kind of the easiest way to both help people and and get your generate own generate revenue, work. generate business. <laughs> of course it is. Right. You know, right. I know that you know that, but but it's it, it's still it, it, it's still a good deed, it, yeah. and and that good deed may or may not pay out, as we know, as true. you and I both know. Very true. Very because true. Not everybody's going to do business with you. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, you don't need everybody to do business with you. You need the right businesses to do business with you. That's exactly right. Um, gosh, well, this has been really, really interesting. I, I could, we, I could probably talk to you for another half an hour, but uh, I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to forego doing that uh, knowing that you have a hard stop here at the top of the hour. Um, but, uh, oh, but I do want to uh, uh, point one thing, your website, orchid.black, correct? Orchid.black. O-R-C-H-I-D dot B-L-A-C-K. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. So in case anybody's looking for you, they'll be able to find you. Well, Jim Barnish Jr., uh, co-founder and managing partner of Orchid Black. This has been really interesting. I, I just, I, I I'm really want to spend some more time talking to you about the company. It's I'd love to talk really to cool you about yours as well. Really cool what you're up to. <laughs> thank and you I thank, very much. And I thank you for, uh, for talking with me today. Absolutely. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com 
or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. 